Hello, and welcome to Steve Gladen on Small Groups. Steve Gladen, Global Small Groups Pastor at Saddleback Church, pulls from his 20-plus years of small group ministry experience to encourage and equip listeners to lead more effective small group ministry. So sit back, learn, and enjoy Steve Gladen on Small Groups. Welcome to SG Squared, Steve Gladen on Small Groups. Thank you so much for tuning in. Derek here, along with your other intrepid host, Saddleback Church's Global Small Group Pastor, Steve Gladen. Hey, everybody. Derek, good to see you on this fine day. Very good to see you too, Steve. And I kind of notice you look a little different. Um, For people that are are listening to the podcast, I'm trying to describe this carefully. uh, The nose region. Talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you that aren't watching on uh, YouTube or any of our other video streams, uh, I had the pleasure of uh, uh, developing and finding out I had skin cancer. And uh, uh, let's put it this way. Once I was uh, into the process, they gave me that terrible news that it's more invasive than I had planned on. So uh, they let me know that I was getting a new face, I mean, a a new nose in the whole process. So... (laughs) Uh, you know, I don't think of myself as too vain, but I've got to confess this one was a little bit more uh, uh, agonizing, both pain-wise and everything-wise. So I'm uh, about two weeks outside of the the new surgery, and when they told me they had to rebuild my nose, uh, it's kind of funny because uh, Derek, it's really trippish process. But they said, "Hey, we got to take part of your cheek uh, to uh, to rebuild your nose." No, and I'm like going, I go. Uh, is that my butt cheek or is that my facial cheek? <laughs> and uh, he goes, I'm not sure how you vacation, but we got to go something with a similar skin tone. So we're going to use your cheek cheek uh, on your face, which my staff were very disappointed because uh, they were hoping they were going to use my, my butt cheek <laughs> so they could call me butt face and be accurate. <laughs> So all kidding aside, it was uh, a pretty scary process. Uh, You know, good news got all the uh, cancer uh, out of my nose. Bad news was I asked for, you know, that Brad Pitt, Pitt, Chris Fine, uh, Chris Pine nose uh, (laughs) job, and I I, I got what I got. So uh, it's still about another six to eight weeks worth of healing and process where the nose flattens out. But Oh my gosh. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm sorry, I don't pay for therapy, but uh, if not, we're, we're deep in the process. So, Hey, seriously, if you, if you're just listening via podcast, uh, find us on YouTube or uh, on Instagram, we do some reels to see Steve's new nose. Um, All Mm -hmm. things considered, he looks pretty good. And uh, no, seriously, Steve, we're, uh, we're praising God with you for the good report. I had no idea it was, it was uh, that intense. Yeah, it's about uh, four hours to get get it out, and the next day I had to come in for about three hours while they rebuilt me. So I don't have the six million dollar nose, but uh, actually I don't even know how much it costs. But it, I'm sure I'll get a bill. Wow. Well, um, okay. Let's move on to something else. Let's transition out of <laughs> Steve. Out of my face. Steve's surgery, uh, June surgery. So Steve. Um, a lot of small group gatherings, they start out, you know, with a fun activity or uh, an icebreaker question to loosen everyone up, right? And and we've kind of, we were trying to do that there with the nose segment, but it got a little heavier than I anticipated. Uh, 
<laughs> well, at least you didn't call me butt face, so that's good. Uh, you have to call me cheek face. Uh, now I now I have a reason to call you butt face. I like this. <laughs> uh, it wasn't that part of my body, so it's right. really easy. For the record, it was his facial cheek. Um, so I thought I had planned something else a little bit real quick here, kind of fun. So being that this is a small group podcast, let's do like a lot of our small groups do. Let's have a fun icebreaker just to kind of loosen up our listening audience. And so Steve here, you, Steve, I promise has not heard what this icebreaker question is going to be, but like a good small group member, he's going to participate and uh, (laughs) give an answer. So Steve, the question for you is, what is a favorite song or songs from way back in the day that you used to rock out to that you still rock out to when no one's really watching or listening? Well, actually, I would still rock out to it even if somebody was watching or listening. Uh, my wife dreads this, uh, but I would probably go back to the Beatles, Twist and Shout. And oh, yeah. uh, we actually uh, danced that at our wedding. Uh, <laughs> Gosh, 33 years ago. That's painful to say. And I still rock out to it today. So, I mean, you know, I'm a great dancer. Uh, the problem is my wife just won't be anywhere near me when I dance. So maybe that means I'm not a great dancer. But let's flip it to you now, man. You sprung <laughs> that on me. You had something to listen to. Give me a band. No, 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 not so fast. First of all, the, the second part of the question is, for those who <sighs> don't know the song, you got to sing the song. Oh. <laughs> Twist and shout. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, baby. Now, come on, baby. I love it. Work it on out. Work it on out. Dude, you missed your calling for the worship ministry. Come on. I sure did. And thank God the church can grow now. I love it. Steve Gladen is singing on Live On Air. That was amazing. For me, um, You can whistle it too. Uh, I'm a little. Uh, come on, Derek, now come on, Derek. Come on, man! You're feeling it. Look at this song. Really is your pathway. Come on. Um, one what, of mine. I grew up. So I, I grew up a child of the '80s. A little bit. I'm a little younger than you. Um, so I remember my dad in the background in the '80s. Man, he would be blaring Petra. And I don't know. Wow, you, went, you went to the Christian band. I'm well, impressed. I'll give you a secular too, but uh, one of the one of the songs I always heard was "This Means War" by Petra. Have you heard that? This means war, and the battle's still raging. War. Do you know how much our our, our listeners are going to go down if we don't change this subject really? Yeah, quick? Let's, let's change it. Uh, so that's your icebreaker. We're trying to, you know, give you the small group. I'd like to apologize to all of our listeners. I have no process on the front end of this show. I just deal with the content side. <laughs> Thanks for playing along. That was fun. So in this episode, to move on, we are talking about church-wide campaigns. And this is, uh, I know, something that a lot of people are excited to hear about, learn about. Because, uh, Steve, you have... Uh, and Saddleback have mastered this kind of over the years. So set this up for us. What are we talking about? Yeah, so um, I know that as everyone is hopefully starting to look towards fall or look towards January, I know I know we're in the in the start of summer, but you've got to be looking ahead 
into your calendar years. And since Saddleback invented the churchwide campaign in 2002, you know, I've had the privilege of being the campaign director for every campaign we've done except one. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this course is that I've seen so many churches not fully understand what a churchwide campaign is. You know, this is, um, and, and because of that, they don't see the same results that we've seen at, at Saddleback Church. And most pastors or churches think of a churchwide campaign as a sermon series, maybe a small group study, and they may do some other component with it, like a book or they read through a journal or something like that. But there's so much more to a churchwide campaign. And what happens is, is people who don't understand what it is, they ended up, they end up not getting the same results that, that we have gotten. And it's kind of like uh, if you're um, making a, uh, a cake and you're making this cake ingredient from, um, you know, Betty Crocker or something like that. And you go, eh, I don't feel like putting eggs in. And so you don't put eggs in it and the cake comes out crappy. You're like going, eh, you're calling me up going, hey, my cake stinks. And I just go to you after I do some diagnostic questions. I go, dude, you're, you're changing up the, the recipe. And so, you know, one of the things is, is that if you want to do it right, now you can do it any way you want to. But I'm telling you, when you see the explosive growth that we've seen, when you see the amount of groups that start up, when you see the involvement, when you see the salvations, when you see the baptisms, it's all wrapped around in this. Now, in my first book, uh, Small Groups with Purpose, Chapter 17, uh, I talk about these 12 ingredients. But in this show, I want, we, want to, we want to run through them with you just really briefly. And, and I want to encourage you, uh, we have just put together, coming out just now, is a course on how to do a churchwide campaign. We've got so many downloadables for you. It is just sickening for you. Uh, but we've got, you know, forms and, uh, and um, you know, the, the, down, the, the workbooks and the job descriptions and, and so many pieces. We'll talk about the course and, and the six sessions in the course uh, at the close of this uh, show. But the main thing I want you to see is that we have made this as bulletproof as possible because even when we list the 12 ingredients, people don't know how to use the 12 ingredients. And so we understand that there's the ingredients and then there's what portion of ingredients do you use to make the best cake? So we want you to make not only the best campaign, we want you to make an amazing campaign. And as I talk about cake, I'm like, going, man, we, we should have some, some green room food here at, on these shows. So help us out, Derek, you know, get us a budget. 12 ingredients to build your best campaign cake. <laughs> so let me, uh, let me kind of roll through them. Derek and I are going to kind of go uh, odd and even. I'll be odd and you can be even on this show. Uh, we'll list the 12 ingredients in the show notes, but, and we'll, more importantly, we're going to list you some important links for the course so that you can learn how to do this uh, because there, there are many, many components and uh, there are quite a few downloadables. Uh, I think there's over 20 downloadables that you'll be using in this just to help you out because we, we really do want this to be successful for you as you may look towards fall or as you may look towards uh, winter uh, for this to happen in your church. So let me kick it off. 
The number one thing you need to understand, and these 12 ingredients aren't in any particular order after I give you this one, because number one really is number one. And that is you need to know the compelling question. And what this is, is that inside your church culture of your community, what is the felt need and what is the question that you're answering? Because you need to have a compelling question that addresses the culture in your church. And there's many things that drive the the community. You may say, hey, Steve, I don't know the compelling question. Well, you may want to start by going out and surveying your community and find out what is in front of them. Is it a lack of hope, a lack of peace? Uh, a lack of fitness, a lack of purpose, a lack of love, a lack of whatever it is. But your culture is deficient in something. There's a felt need that's not getting answered. And when you find the felt need, then you can develop the compelling question because you want to have a campaign that is addressing a felt need that the community has. This is built for the community to bring them in. Now, generally, if you are addressing the felt need in the community, strong chance it's the same felt need that's inside your church. So number one is knowing the compelling question. And number two is align the children's, students, and adult ministries together. And so again, we're talking about a church-wide campaign. So church-wide is the key phrase here, right? And this means, again, aligning children, students, and adults together across the board. So for example, in the course of a week, right, um, the adults are learning the same thing, the students are learning, and the students are learning the same thing, the kids are learning. So basically, if it's the weekend gathering, The pastor may be up there speaking on this uh, campaign topic for that week. The students and kids are also learning in their own version uh, because, you know, not everything may translate exactly, but the best you can, they're learning the same principles in uh, their ministry circles. And then so what you have is you've got the whole uh, family uh, learning, growing, and experiencing this life change together. And then therefore you have the whole church uh, as well. Right, Steve? Yep. It's a, it's a class. I love it. I would love what you just said right there because why we call it church wide is because everybody in the church is doing it. Number three, stick to the principles and apply your own methodologies. Now, what's going to be super important as you work through the course and as you work through all these 12 points that you got to understand the principles that, of what we're talking about. And uh, just like, you know, Derek was sharing on this last point is the, the theme uh, may be, you know, uh, transformation, but how that looks in children, how that looks in students and how that looks in adults, the, the theming may be the same, but the methodologies that you get that theming across are going to be very different. So not only uh, are you, you know, making them appropriate for all your age graded ministries, But at the same point, what we're talking about here in applying your own methodologies is what you're learning from this campaign, especially if you go through the campaign course, you know, grasp the principles and help those 
be transferable into your own methodologies. So think through that when we're talking about the components. We're going to talk in just a couple points here about components you need. You know, the principle is, you know, attack the different ways of learning. The methodologies may be very different inside your culture. So adapt. It's kind of like we say about fish. Eat the meat, throw away the bones. And the same thing is true right here. Very good. Number four is language matters. And it matters across the board with the campaign, with whether it's the name of the campaign, um, but specifically with what you call your small group leaders. Uh, for example, and Steve can talk more about this, but um, you might think small group leaders is no not a big deal in the church world and you know the tight ministry circles, but the word leader might freak some people out, right? Mm-hmm. Some people don't think they're leaders, or some people uh, think that, man, I've got to have a Bible degree or uh, have the Bible memorized to lead a small group. So language matters, especially what you're calling your small group leaders, or in this case, I'll call them hosts, because um, that's what Saddleback uh, really made popular was they made the switch from calling their small group leaders leaders to small group hosts. And the acronym is H-O-S-T. H is uh, have a heart for people. O is open your home. S is serve a snack. And T is turn on the TV, or that can even evolve to turn on the video or whatever. But the point is you're saying this is all that you need to lead a group. It's be a whole Yeah, there are a couple fun things just out of, out of this whole point right here that we used to call uh, our small group leaders, we used to call them uh, district lay pastors. And because we thought everyone would be a, want to be a pastor. Why wouldn't you want to be a pastor? And it really scared them to death on that. <laughs> and then we went through a phase where we called them shepherd leaders. Uh, so we, we swung the pendulum all the way to the other side. And in Orange County, California, nobody knew what a shep- a sheep was. So they didn't know what a shepherd was. So it really didn't translate well. And then just like Derek said, we, we talked about small group leaders. But really, we found out people didn't want to be leaders. And then we settled into host. And really how we got there was that we realized we had more people with the gift of hospitality than uh, the gift of teaching. And so what we wanted them to be is a host of people. And that's where video curriculum came into play. And that's how we developed video curriculum is because you're bringing the master teacher in. Now, later on, you want to develop them, have a, a plan to develop them from video curriculum to inductive study, uh, which, you know, later on in the show, we'll talk about our group, our group method and also our group um, Bible method that we're, we have coming out uh, from the small group network. But for right now, is, you know, that language mattered. And we need to ask people, do you want to be a leader or you want to be a host? Everybody said, I can host a few people because the leader's coming in and uh, leading the time. So it really was a critical point. Sorry to cut you off. Didn't know if you had anything else on that. Don't want to blow through that and not hit the next thing. No, no, I, th- I think the only other thing I would add is this, this absolutely matters. In my own experience leading um, campaigns, when we made it clear that you are a host and a host means this, and this is the all you need to have, people's eyes lit up. They're like, I can do that. When yeah. all you had to do is break down the perceptions. Yeah. And part of, you know, when we, we just on that one point, we talked about, you know, stick to the principles, apply the methodology. Here's a great point because we're saying, hey, you want them to feel like the host. That's the principle. 
Now, the methodologies of how you, you break down the acrostic can differ. So for like at Saddleback, we went, you don't say uh, uh, open up your home because a lot of our groups meet in different places. We just say open up a place. So we take the, keep the same principle. We just uh, change the methodology on it because we have a lot of on-campus groups, too, that the place happens to be on campus with that. Number five is employ various avenues of learning. You know, one of the, the tough things I've had to uh, learn as a, as a parent that has a kid that learns differently is that people learn in different ways. And I even found out found that I learn very differently. And so do the people in your church. And there are different avenues that a campaign addresses. Uh, You've got to tackle all five methods of learning. You see, some people learn through the ear gate. And that's where they'll learn from listening to the messages. And that's very important. But you got to have a, in the campaign, you got to have a, that, that process that's embedded in there. There's also people that learn through the eye gate. They learn through reading. They learn through, I like to read it and comprehend it myself. There are other people that learn through the mouth gate. And they, they like to discuss it. And they like to talk uh, about it. There's other people that learn through the hands. They're tactile learners. So you've got to have a project that's happening uh, in the campaign so they can learn. I learn through the nose. I mean, no pun intended since my nose just got worked on. Uh, but I learn through the nose, which is I like to smell the food. And when I smell the food, I learn how important a small group is because I can get fed. Uh, that's totally a lie. No, that's not a lie about me, but it's not a learning. It's not one of the learning methods. Uh, but then also people like to learn through the mind gate. Some people like to be challenged. And scripture memory is a great way for them to learn. Now, you may have a different methodology that tackles any one of these learning styles. But a point, the principle is you have to employ all the avenues of learning in a campaign so that people can learn the best in the, in the function that they like to. How you do it, you may do some different things. Number six, once a year is enough. And I learned this one kind of the hard way. I remember being a small group pastor for the first time, and I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I stumbled upon the Saddleback campaign strategy, and I thought, this is it. We launched the church's first ever campaign, and let me tell you, it was widely successful. Like There was so mm-hmm. much momentum. I remember the, pa- the pastor's words still stuck with me on our launch Sunday. He said, I have never seen so much momentum in this church as as today. And that for me was just this huge win. Uh, the problem was I kept trying to do it. Somehow I missed the memo that once was enough. And so yeah, once, a, once a year is enough, not just once. A right. Year. Once a year is enough. So that was, I think we launched uh, our groups in the fall, but then that next winter season, after we took a break, I was trying to do it again. And you could immediately see the uh, momentum loss as it was just too familiar. So the point is, like Steve says, what makes the Super Bowl the Super Bowl is it's simple. It's once a year. The 51 weeks that lead up to the campaign is what makes it uh, special. Steve, anything else? Yeah, so true with that. I mean, it's it's a you, it's so common. You you fi- you figure out you've got so much success. But one of the points that Derek's going to be carrying out a little bit later on in the show is you know we're going to talk about the the taxing that that a campaign when it's done the right way and you're doing all five learning methods, both children, students, and adults. It's taxing on your staff, and you'd really it's just physically it's a beast. And so 
you got to let up off the accelerator. You just can't keep the pedal down uh, all the time. Number seven, provide a clear start and end date. Now with this, I would say you do, you've got to provide a clear start and an end date. So people know when am I getting in and when am I getting out? And so that they can see that. But along with a campaign is also with this, you know, provide a clear start and end date is killing all non-essential activities. Because one of the things that happens is what makes a campaign a campaign is that you stop all the activities in the church that are non-essential. Now at Saddleback, we would say support groups and our recovery groups are essential. You know, you can't stop trauma from coming into your church members. And so our support groups, our counseling groups, our CR recovery groups, they continue all the time. But non-essential events, they stop. Now, the problem is people like to keep their stuff rolling all the time. And one of the things uh, that people, uh, that I lose all my friends on staff is when we're doing a campaign and I'm stopping a lot of their activities that are non-essential because they're so close to it they can't deem whether it's essential or not. And you got to clear the calendar so that the start and end dates, everyone is focusing on the things that matter the most in your campaign, which are generally the weekend message, a small group, and doing the daily reading and the other components that are involved in a campaign. So make sure you provide that clear start and end date and you kill the non-essential activities. Just for a period, just for 40 days. And yes, like you said, st- people may fight you a little bit on on killing some of the, those other ministries I've found. I've seen that firsthand. So that can be a, a learning curve. Uh, That's how I got the scar on my nose. I mean, someone punched me out because I was killing one of their activities. So <laughs> let the truth be known. Number eight, uh, as Steve alluded to, expect high intensity for staff. This includes volunteers, members involved in the campaign. Um, you know, because it's, again, it's church-wide, it's go time, it's it's usually 40 days, and so people will get physically tired, um, and but also, that can also mean spiritual attacks, uh, and so yeah. you, you just want to be aware of that, you want to be more than ever during this campaign as a spiritual leader praying and rallying your people to pray. I think you also want to make them aware that, hey, this, this can be a, a taxing time, so be filling yourself up, be in the word, be praying and mm. encourage your team. I think like never before during this, uh, 40 days, you want to, uh, minister to them, pastor them like, like you never have, uh, so that they stay encouraged. And I think, uh, the last thing you want to do is do number nine, uh, which is kind of a, a crescendo to number eight. Well, you know, part of that with Derek, just to put a little exclamation point on it, is the reason why you, on the point before we talked about clearing the non-essential activities, is because people don't know what they don't know. And when you're having them do other things, if they try to do another activity, they get physically exhausted. So, Derek, I love the point you brought up. I don't want people to miss it. It's both physical and spiritual. I mean, I think that's what I was hearing clearly from you. So that's a, that's a good point. Uh, number nine remember and celebrate. And this is super important. You know, all throughout the Bible, we're always told to remember. Matter of fact, throughout the Old Testament, especially, they, they did a lot of physical things to remember what God had done, had done for them. Why is that? Because we tend to forget. And the same thing with the campaign 
you want to do a rally. In the course, we spend a lot of time, and also in my book, uh, spend some uh, explain about this, but it's important that you celebrate what's happening. The fun things and the spiritual things and getting people together, sharing their testimonies. Uh, we call them a small group host gathering. Uh, you know, your church may call it a rally or whatever you want to call it, but you want to have a party of all parties so that you can remember this campaign and you can put a great closing part to it. And I can remember uh, all the the parties that we've done, just the incredible stories that come out of it and life change that happens uh, even at the uh, event itself. So remember and celebrate. So often we just move to the next hill and we don't even get a chance to party and enjoy what we just did. So a lot of good stuff on that. Yeah, that one's key. Definitely remember and celebrate. Number 10 is plan for after the campaign. So on day 41, what are you going to do? What are you going to have groups do? If, you, if you've if you built this campaign correctly, you're going to have all this momentum. You're going to have an influx of people. And so you don't not want to have a plan after that and just lose these people. Um, something Steve often says and, and Rick is that, People will come for content, but they'll stay for relationships. Yeah. So you'll have all these people that wouldn't normally maybe be in a small group, but they're going to join one because of the momentum, because of the content. But then they're going to get hooked. They're going to love this fellowship and this community. And mm-hmm. um, so I remember in my own experience with campaigns, we had some people that were some groups that were having such an amazing time together. The last thing they wanted to do was stop. So like mm-hmm. for some of them, we had a, an additional month plan where they could continue on four weeks if they wanted. So stuff like that. What are you going to do after? Yeah, that, that applies both to temple courts. You know, what's your sermon series? Does it make sense for after the campaign and things like that? And it also makes sense for your small group content. If they were a new group, what do you want them to do? If they're an existing group before the campaign, what do you want them to do? And it kind of leads to this next point, number 11, seems very counterintuitive, but that is give people an out after the campaign. So a lot of times in the celebration that we talked about a couple points ago is, you know, a lot of time that's the end for them. Now, naturally, there's a strategy built in to try your best to get them to continue. But if they absolutely don't want to continue, don't worry about that, because if you give them a positive experience and you give them an out, then the the strong chance that the next year when you do a church-wide campaign, it is going to increase and they'll jump right back in because they had a positive experience. And maybe that time they'll continue on. So don't worry about giving people an out because I can guarantee you, your groups will start at one point. Like uh, the first time we did a campaign, we had 825 groups. During the campaign, we went up to over 2,400, then post-campaign, we dropped back down to actually 1,456 groups. Now, you can look at that as we lost 700 groups or we gained 700 groups. I'd like to think of it as a little bit more of the glass is half full. And, you know, you kind of keep going with that. So, you know, give them an out. You'll always be able to come back the next year and uh, hook them back in. So good. And number 12 is budget to remove financial obstacles. So you got to be thinking, man, what what financial resources can we divert to this campaign? Because it's going to pay off so much for your church. And as a small group point person, 
And Steve, again, you can share more on this. You you might really need to cast some vision to your senior leader, you know, because they might be thinking, oh man, this is just going to be another hit to our budget, another thing. You've got to be able to cast a vision to them that, no, pastor, this is going to grow the entire church, not just physically, but spiritually. And it's really going to strengthen every ministry department. So you want to be thinking about, man, where else can we cut to divert to the budget? Yeah, just uh, again, to emphasize that at Saddleback, uh, we budget around $600,000 for our our church-wide campaign. Some of that's due to size, but also a lot of it is just due to because we've seen the fruit from it. We're investing in the future of our church, and it always pays off. Now, Derek and I talked to you about the top of the show that we have a new course coming out on how to do a church-wide campaign. There are so many details. There are so many booklets. There are so many uh, forms, and there's so many uh, you know other documents that you need to do this right. And w- when you see the course, you'll you'll understand. Oh man, this is why it can be so taxing. But let me walk you through the course real quick. In the show notes, again, just to remind you, there's a link so you can watch the introduction. Uh, to be able to understand, you know, what this is about and why it's so important for a church-wide campaign. But let me go through the six sessions so you'll know it. Number one is, these are this is the what the sessions are answering. Who is your team and what did they do for a successful campaign? We have six downloadable documents that explain that team member's role in what they do in a campaign. So everything from the pastor to the campaign director, to the communications director, to the small group director, and a couple others that are in there. But there are documents, there's a little booklets that you get to download so that you can have with clarity and, and the ability uh, to you know kind of tailor to your church on what they need to do. Session two talks about how do we work as a team? So what is it that you have to do in order to involve children's, students, and adults And how do you get all of those teams to work in harmony together so that, you know, good things can happen? The third thing is what, uh, where and what is the content of a church-wide campaign? And one of the things that uh, you can do there, we talk about two tracks in this session. Are you going to do plug and play where you buy somebody else's campaign or are you going to design your own? And obviously plug and play is a little bit easier, but the beautiful thing about designing your own is it's your content and then things become much cheaper for you because you own all the IP and all the content. But a lot of great questions are talked about in session three on that. Number four is where are all the leaders and how do you design and develop and get leaders for these campaigns, both in the students, the children's and the adult world. Session five talks about the devil is in the details. And oh my goodness, this session kills me. So I'm glad some other people did it. Uh, You know, but the point is, is that there are a lot of details. But one of the great things is there's a lot of people in your church who love details. And uh, so you got that's one. And then, then the session six is day 41. And in this particular one, we have a, a document you can download and it's the day 41 booklet. And it kind of helps you plan out your next year and a number of things in your in your church. But uh, there's also some other documents I t- didn't tell you about how to have a successful 
a successful churchwide campaign. So there's more documents there that you can read about. And the beautiful thing about this course is that uh, we have a couple people who are helping us out with this. Um, uh, Bob Pittenger and uh, one of his associates, Bree, helped us there uh, from Tulsa, Oklahoma at Broken Arrow Community Church. And uh, Nick Lindsay and Heather Kova uh, helped us with a couple of sessions. Nick is from Hoboken, uh, New Jersey. And so you have some different church takes, not only from uh, Saddleback Church, but also Hoboken Grace in New Jersey and Broken Arrow in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So you'll see, and it it just works wherever you're at. So I just want to encourage you to jump into this uh, church-wide campaign and this understanding. We want the best for you. What breaks my heart is so many people take shortcuts because you don't know what you don't know. A church-wide campaign is one of the most strategic things you can do in your small group ministry. But if you don't do it right, as many groups as you start, is as many groups as you'll lose. And I don't want that to happen. So we talk a lot about infrastructure and things that you can do to sustain all the momentum that you got. Well, there you have it. There are your 12 ingredients for an amazing, successful churchwide campaign. We hope this episode really encouraged you and equipped you to lead a healthier, more dynamic, vibrant small group ministry and have an epic campaign coming up. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. And until next month, goodbye, everybody. All right. Hope you have a fun time. We're going to go make a cake. Let's go, Derek, and let's go make a cake. (laughs) All right. See you guys. See you guys. Thank you for listening to Steve Gladen on Small Groups. If you like what you've heard, make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more, make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com for more resources.